How's it going? Long time no, no talk. I know. It's been a while. Uh, Chris and I just had our our one-on-one right before we recorded this podcast. So, seeing a lot of each other today. <laughs> yes. Um, I also realized, I think I told you, I realized that I've had my podcast microphone plugged in all day. And so like all my Zooms have been going to this microphone, which when I'm not recording a podcast is like tucked way back behind my laptop and it's got to be so hard to hear me. And nobody said anything. So, <laughs> Including on our call? Yeah. So I don't know if people just like tune me out generally and don't notice when they can't hear me or what the deal is, but come on. I mean, it does sound better now, but it sounded fine. Oh, good. Okay. You could still hear me. That's good. Yeah. Well, Chris, this is a very special episode because we're talking about a, an event in tech history, which I did not actually prepare for. So when we read this, this is going to be the first time that I'm reading this story. Uh, it's going to be very uh, just fly by the seat of my pants. And this is my last episode as the host of the Frontier Podcast. So we're going to go out with a bang. I felt like I was supposed to prepare some like uh, like party poppers or something <laughs> or like uh walk out music know, some fireworks outside but uh i did oh not unfortunately well you're fired no just kidding um play like graduation by vitamin c or something yeah there you go all right maybe bill can work it in oh that brings me back <laughs> What a banger. Yeah. What a ba- I mean, no notes on that song. Absolutely no notes. It's perfect for every <laughs> occasion. Transported back to Dakota High School in Macomb, Michigan. Oh, boy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we had it incorporated somehow into our graduation sequence of events. I don't know. I have to. I spent some time with like my friends from high school a couple weekends ago at a bachelorette party. And the things that these people remember from 20, 25 years ago, like specific moments in class, like teachers who said certain things. And and it wasn't just like one person having like this, you know, obviously like critical memory. (laughs) Other people are like, oh, yeah. And then this happened. I'm like, guys, what? How is this? I don't even remember what I had for breakfast. It was wild. Anyway, I will ask them about the vitamin C situation in high school. Chris, are you ready to get into it? I am. I'm very excited for this one. I used to live on the street below where this place is. No way. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm excited to find out what this place is. Here we go. Chris, on May 9th, 1967, the National Center for Atmospheric Research, also known as NCAR, which I am going to say, I'm going to call it NASCAR at least once today (laughs) on accident, (laughs) dedicated its new Mesa Laboratory in Boulder, Colorado. NCAR has long been known as a pioneer in investigating weather patterns and other atmospheric phenomena using computers and other technology. Studies include meteorology, climate science, atmospheric chemistry, solar terrestrial interactions, excuse me environmental and societal impacts. NCAR was instrumental in in developing LIDAR, aka light radar, 
now a key archaeological tool, as well as providing a broad array of tools and technologies to the specific community, or to the scientific, also specific community for studying Earth's atmosphere, including high performance computing and cyber infrastructure, including supercomputers, whoa, technology transfer to support societal needs, data sets, data services, and other resources. NCAR command language, also known as NCL, a programming language designed for use with climate and model data. The laboratory was designed by renowned architect I.M. Pei. Pei bases design on the Anasazi cliff dwell dwellings of Mesa Verde. He used techniques such as bush hammering the concrete laying out geometric shapes for the buildings and using a local pinkish aggregate to help the complex blend, blend it, the complex, <laughs> to help the complex blend in with the surrounding Flatirons Hills on the table mesa. He also laid out the building in maze-like fashion to encourage greater interaction among the scientists. That's genius. Uh, the lab won the 1967 Laboratory of the Year Award by Industrial Research Magazine and the 1997 American Institute of Architects Colorado Chapter's 25-year award. The latter is given for buildings that continue to serve their original function and have withstood the test of time over a 25- to 35-year period. The center was also named Best Research Center by Go Magazine in 2007. What a decorated research center. I did not even know that there were awards for research centers, and here we are. Bonus fun. The site is a popular short training ride for cyclists in the area, including for Abby, who is our producer, when she raced for CU Boulder. Wait, I did not know that Abby was a a racer, a, a cycling racer. Yeah, she was. So was I, actually. What? She conveniently cut me out of that one. Oh, my gosh. Abby, we've got some words. Chris has some words for you. Oh, oh wait. Chris was known to longboard down it. That was the last piece from her. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. So you have experience at this place by nature of living close to it. I've never actually been to the the lab, um, which <laughs> okay. I wish I had. I didn't actually know that it was designed by IMP, which like actually looking at it up close, it makes a lot of sense. I can't think of something that scientists would hate more <laughs> than a building designed to be maze-like. Yes. And thus social. And social, yes. <laughs> but it's this, uh, if you've ever been to Boulder, like at this, the, the Flatirons and just below the Flatirons, the south end of town, there's this uh, giant, like, a giant, it's like five or six uh, stories, but there's nothing else that tall close to the Flatirons. And it's, uh, it's this building, uh, but it's up on top of this mesa. And there's a long, like sweeping road that comes down a ridge. And it just kind of the building just kind of like fades into the uh, into the like red rock of, of the uh, uh, the surrounding. So it's really cool. Wow. So you've longboarded down said driveway. I have back in my uh, uh, youthful um, <laughs> sophomore uh, days of living on Table Mesa Road. Oh, my gosh. Uh, how are your knees as an adult after doing that? Totally fine. What? Yeah. Yeah. No, no issues. I Surprisingly. cannot believe that. Okay. This place is crazy. It looks like where I imagine aliens would go first to like check in. 
It's like the welcome center for extraterrestrial life. That's very fitting, I think. Don't you think? Be like, excuse me, could I have a map to the rest of this weird planet? This is where I would go if I were an alien. I mean, maybe that's where they're talking to them. So Maybe. Well, okay, so we did read a bit of that. I have a question for you. What is solar terrestrial interactions? That's a really great question. (laughs) Okay, well, here we go. Back to the Google machine. Solar terrestrial data. It's probably not at all related to aliens. Um, Yes, correct. It's not. Uh, These are a lot of words that I think, yeah, solar data and images, blah, blah, blah. It seems weather related, which makes sense because this is definitely like a a weather a weather related building perhaps not an alien related building i mean mostly so it's kind of part of this complex of buildings that was designed in like post world war 2 in the south part of boulder there's like this the um national institute for standards and technology um is another like modernist building that is not too far away, just kind of like down the hill from where this is, um, that is home to the to an atomic clock that happens to be the most accurate clock in the world, which Whoa. is pretty interesting. Yeah. Colorado coming through. Yeah. Um, and NOAA is also located there. Um, so it's a real like hub for uh, atmospheric research. Mm. Like back in the day, this was, there's like, it's a pretty steep hill to get up, but the, like the CU cycling team, um, used to hold a bunch of, uh, like training rides up this hill because there's only one way traffic on it. Oh, interesting. So you're not dealing with, uh, like getting hit by a car, like on most of the roads around Boulder. I'll have to ask Abby for these stories. I cannot believe I did not know this fun fact about her. Um, I'm disappointed in myself. Okay, so you knew who I am pay is. I did not know this. Who is this person? And is their name really I am? Like AIM. I mean, I don't know. He has a I'm sure has a full name, but you know his work. He is a uh like a very famous architect that was from uh China. Uh, but mm. he was on the faculty at Harvard for a long time. He's like most known for the extension at the Louvre um, that did the the pyramids, the pyramid and the inverted pyramid, mm-hmm. and then the the eastern building at the National Art Gallery in Washington. But this was the building that he credits with really launching his career. Like before this, he was known for doing a lot of like work in in cities and mm-hmm. um really like like metropolitan like very modern um international style um like uh Corbusier, like cubist style stuff and this is like a very interesting building in that it's like if you compare it to a lot of his other buildings to me, like you can totally see the, uh, like the crossover and that like very cubist style, especially if you look at like an aerial view, looking at the top down, mm-hmm. 
is how much it's it's meant to like sit into the background with that like hammered concrete. Yeah, is really cool, and it's like and like he says himself, like this is what launched his uh, like launched his career. Yeah, and the fact that like you can live below it. Granted, I was like an idiot college kid, but uh, <laughs> and not know that it's uh, an IMP building is pretty wild. Yeah, it is wild. I'm also reading about him. He died at 102, just four years ago. In New York in 2019. There was a building um, at the the college I went to that was also built in the 60s and very like, it just has that classic kind of like concrete, blocky kind of feel. Um, And I think there was some kind of important architect who worked on it but it just reminds me of um the ncar building because it's the same like when you look at it you're like how how could that be functional right like what's the point of all of this but yeah when you're in it it i mean it's there for a reason whether it's a, a good reason or not right to to be maze like and make scientists socialize or you know make space for the kind of work that they have to do who knows? But the vibe is the same. I was doing some reading and saw that he the went through multiple iterations of the building. And at first the um the the scientist that was in charge of approving the designs uh, was mad. He, he said, like, oh, it's just a like it's just a tall building or like it's like just like two tall buildings or something. Um, and he meant it in the like scientific, like rigor type of way. And he like really angered IMP. <laughs> and then he like came back with this like idea of like, uh, like multiple small, like multiple, like five, five story buildings that, um, or like a village and this idea of the maze like cubist structure to make scientists interact with each other <laughs> um which uh, once again i find hilarious but it turns out that they were still friends until uh, um until he died so oh, wow. um apparently it didn't anger the scientists too much so that's good i feel like if i live close to this building i would be convinced it almost looks like they're little like robots like looking through binoculars yeah. or something <laughs> Okay, well, we'll talk about one technical topic here, which is just the insane amount of data that's required for any sort of study of weather. Um, And I think like, because weather feels so confusing to me, I do not understand how models work, how to read any of that. I'm not Tyler. Um, It almost feels like, like the farmer's almanac to me almost feels like... uh, similar to astrology <laughs> in a way where it's like oh, this, I, I don't know if I really believe this, but it turns out that there's an insane amount of data that goes into any sort of like weather science or predictive, you know, weather studies. And I did not realize that there were whole languages design, like programming languages designed to handle that kind of data. Yeah. I mean, I think this is like especially relevant now. And I think it's, you know, it's been really there's always been that like it's especially relevant now looking at this for better or worse like emergent ai technology and how fast everything's um uh advancing but there's always been this like difference between the american and european model 
um, of storm tracking, right? And I think it'll be really interesting to see just how accurate everything can get. Um, and this is like coming from someone living on a small island um, yeah. in, uh, uh, in Carolina. Um, but it definitely makes sense that the like this laboratory has played a role in the development of supercomputers, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what better, what better field of study than weather to to test the the bounds of a, a supercomputer? Well, Chris, I have a new place that I need to visit, and that is Boulder, Colorado, specifically to see this crazy looking building. And I will hit you up for recommendations while I'm there. Yeah, have you? Speaking of weather predicting, mm. uh, have you heard of this bird called the Viri? No. There are these birds that are these like tiny little birds that are a species of thrush that migrate from like the northeast. And I think like the guy that studies them is like primarily in like Massachusetts, I want to say. Mm. But they migrate down to South America. And he studies the time of year that they leave and migrate back. And the time of year that they leave predicts the severity of the Atlantic hurricane season better than a lot of leading meteorological models. What? Yeah. In the past, uh, and there was a 2019 study that showed that um, they were more accurate than a bunch of models were. Oh, my um, gosh. So this cute little guy. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Just a little meteorologist bird. That's wild. Okay. I will add that to my media consumption list. I'm currently in the middle of the like elephants docuseries. It's been a journey. Is uh, that the one with the, the Don? No. The who? The uh, National Geographic. No. It's Natalie Portman who does like the voice, not voiceover. Um, Natalie Portman, Elephants. <laughs> Secrets of the Elephants. Yeah, it's on National Geographic. Yeah. I, I just saw an ad for it with a, an elephant who uh, uh, collects a toll on a highway in, uh, in Thailand. That is used for transporting sugar cane. And he smells out when trucks are coming that have high quality or a lot of sugar cane and stops them and takes sugar cane from the trailer. (laughs) Okay. I have not, I have not gotten to that episode yet. I watched the first episode, which is based in, um, in Africa and I cried. It was, it was, um, it was a journey. So I will watch episode two tonight and maybe I'll get to see the tax collector elephant. Sweet. If, if we are so lucky. <laughs> well, Chris, this took a turn. This this took a turn. It was fun. <laughs> we learned about tech history. We learned about birds. Hopefully everyone's going to watch this elephant documentary. Great episode, if I say so myself. Thank you for joining. I don't know how much we got into tech, but we discussed I am pay. So that's it's, fun. Yeah, it counts as tech history. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io. We drop two episodes per week. So if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and come hang out with us again next week and bring all your internet friends. If you have questions or recommendations, just shoot us a Twitter DM at the Frontier Pod. 
and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.